Bibles and open them to First Timothy in chapter 6. And um, God willing, we'll finish up First Timothy next Sunday. And then from there, we'll hop into some deeper water in the book of Ephesians, God willing. And uh, so you can be prepared for that. You can go ahead and start reading through that if you like. And um, it's a great, great book of the Bible. And it's a great affirming book for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I know that uh, you'll be encouraged by it, built up in the faith. We'll be corrected where we need correction. We'll be encouraged where we need to be encouraged. Um, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. In, um, in Europe and America, both, I, I feel that we've moved into a new era as far as religion is concerned. I, I don't think there is much of a fight anymore proving that uh, a God of some sort exists. I think most people seem to be willing to give you that much. That there probably is some kind of God of some sort out there. Uh, I, I rarely run into genuine atheists. Now, I do have people that use that title of themselves when they find out I'm a pastor thinking that's a complete shutdown. That's just like saying sick them to a, a, a hound dog. I don't know why they do that. I'm like, oh, yeah, really? Well, let's find out about that then. So, um, so I, you know, there, there aren't really that that many. Some people use the title, but... We don't really encounter very many genuine atheists. What, what the challenge is now is not so much trying to prove if there's a God or not. The challenge is trying to explain what kind of God he is. That's the challenge. So many people think that God is the sum of all the parts of the universe. Which makes basically everything deity. A tree, dog, cat, grass, caterpillar. Uh, my son came home from our great Ivy League institution here. Chillicothe, Ohio University up on the hill. And uh, they, the, the college students who had been outside. This had been some time back. They had been outside and the spiders. My son doesn't like spiders so spiders walking by there on the pavement he just reaches over there and stomps it like any good country boy would do the kids in the class just went ballistic what what have you just done you've killed you know and you know what that is it's it's the thought that everything together somehow makes up their con concept of god so the universe itself is eternal in some way and that's god Others see him as merely a projection of their own image. I see this among church members. Their theology, their view of God is just really a projection of themselves. If they think this is something good about themselves, then God must be that, but even to a greater extent. And so it's really what they see in heaven is just really a big self. Themselves just bigger. And that's their understanding of God. In other words, God is just what, he, what they think he should be. And they will only accept of God what they're comfortable with. Anything about God that is discomforting to them, that's, it's a rejection. No, he can't be that. That's uncomfortable. That feels odd. I don't like that. And so uh, he did, that kind of God makes me feel unsafe. And so that can't be the true God. And so 
whatever kind of therapeutic being they want to have out there somewhere in the stratosphere, that's what they think God is. Who is the true God? And what is he like? So we have just a few, just a little blip of something here in the scripture that is profound and deep about God. And so I I just want to take a moment and talk about God is, who he is. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. Let's read these two verses. And 15 really is continuation of 14, which he will display at the proper time, talking about the coming of Jesus. Now, where I want to start is in the second half of this verse. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Who God is. Now, I want us to look, first of all, at his unsurpassed power. Verse 15 tells us, he who is the blessed and only sovereign. His power is plenteous. The word blessed there really means prosperous. That word is a translation of a, of a word we don't use that often. We see blessed in the Bible a lot, but it's a different word actually that comes uh, from either Greek or Hebrew than this one. This one's different. This one means plenteous. It means something like this. God contains in himself all that he needs. You know, when I was a kid, a question would go around church sometimes and people say, why did God create man? And some wise sage would say something like, because God was lonely. Really now. That's false. God has no emotional or relational needs. Just think of this. If Jesus were your son, what use would you have for anybody else? So God doesn't have needs. He is in and of himself. He contains everything that he needs. He does not have to go outside of himself for contentment. He is content in and of himself. Humans and false gods look to have their needs met outside of themselves. God never does. He is the blessed and only sovereign. The king of kings and lord of lords. His power is also exceptional. Notice the word only. And only sovereign. The King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the only one who is sovereign over all things. This means that he alone is autonomous. He alone is self-governing. This means that his rule and his reign and his authority is not designated to him from the outside. It is inerrant in him. This sovereignty is his. It's not granted to him by someone. It's not, we don't give him permission to have it. He, in and of himself, is sovereign. Listen to what God says. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. No other being in the universe can say that infallibly. Now humans can say it. We can say it, but we can't guarantee it. I cannot say infallibly that I'll be here at 4 o'clock for evangelism training. 
I can say I hope to, I plan to be, but I do not have the sovereignty to see and to orchestrate every event between now and then that would guarantee you without fail that I will be here. I can't guarantee you that I'll draw another breath. I can't guarantee you that I'll preach next Sunday. I can't guarantee you anything because I'm not sovereign. God is. And what God purposes, he will do. Ladies and gentlemen, what you and I have to come to terms with is simply this. God lives by his own decrees. He does not respond to humans. He doesn't look at us and go, oh, wait, I think I'll do this. Oh, they did well. Let me do that. Oh, my, they need this. Let me see what I can do. He doesn't do that. God operates according to decrees. He purposes it, and it is done. Period. That's the way it works. Like, well, I'm not comfortable with that. Welcome to God. You don't get to be comfortable. That's not, God doesn't write all this in the scriptures about himself so that we we'll all feel comfortable. Oh, that's a nice God there. Just like I thought, Mr. Rogers. No other being can say that. No one has the right. No one has the power to do exactly what he pleases except God alone. We, in and of ourselves, must turn from and resist living as if we are lords of our own lives. As if we are the sovereign. As if we're the king of kings and the lord of lords. Now, in Paul's day, there was the Caesar cult. It started with Caesar Augustus, we believe. And the Caesar cult was Caesar claimed that he was deity. That he was the son of God. And that salvation was found in Caesar. And every person in the Roman Empire had to pay homage to Caesar because that's how the empire was kept together. All these diverse and different peoples all over the world. Everyone had to say that Caesar was the Savior. Caesar was Lord. He's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And what Paul is writing here is a slap in the face to that. No, Caesar is not sovereign. God is. Caesar is not king over all kings. God is. Caesar is not lord over all lords. See, these words are, are words of insurrection. These words are treasonous. These words, if they circulate around to Rome, it's the death penalty for Paul. But God moves him to write them to Timothy. Timothy needed encouragement in the faith. And Paul's just saying, just step on up, Timothy, and take it. This is just what it is. We cannot say other than what God has said of himself. We don't get to sugarcoat it. We don't get to shake it down so it's acceptable. We've gone through a period of time in Christianity in which we've tried to do everything we possibly can to make everything acceptable to people. Is this okay with you, honey? Do you like this? Is this does this make you feel good? How would you like us to do this? And we've been doing that for years. And now you know what we have is we have a bunch of little gods seated on their own throne. And now God has to kick off everybody off the throne so that he can become Lord. And Paul just steps right up and says, not even Caesar's Lord. No, not. God is the only true sovereign. God is the only true king. God is the only true Lord. I would say to us, we need to stand up in our own day. And we need to say that the quote God who is invented by lazy, uninformed, 
Bible-rejecting, falsely-labeled, quote, Christians, that God is not God. The God of the Bible is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Not the God invented by a culture enamored with itself. His unsurpassed power. So, Pastor, I, I just don't like what you're saying. That's good. You're on the right track then. Announcement. I'm not running for any political office. None. Unsurpassed power. Secondly, his unrivaled person. Look what he says in verse 16. Who alone. Okay, there, there's no one. He's not saying who is like someone else. Who alone, period. Now, in the, in the previous phrase, we had only. Now, here we have who alone. Now, note this about describing God, what's getting ready to happen here. I want to prep you for this. The description here that God is so indescribable. He's such an indescribable being that God describes himself in ways showing how he is not like humans. See, in our world right now, we're, we're so insistent upon the imminence of God that we want to describe God like a human. Because it makes us feel comfortable with God. But the problem with that approach is that's not what the Bible does here. Surely the Bible uses some relational terms about God so that we know that through Jesus we can have a relationship with Him. We can call Him Father. We can call Him friend because He's established that through the death of His Son and the resurrection of His Son, victorious over all things. So praise God, we have that opening. But God in His essence is not like anything that we know of. We live in a day when everyone wants to make God just like us. And the Bible differs. Notice what the Bible says about God. He says of himself that he is immortal. Who alone has immortality. It is true that for humans and angels, once they come into existence, that they will never cease to exist. That is true. But this life that we have and that angels have is a life that is derived from God. We had a starting point, And it's life that is derived from Him. We do not have immortality in and of our own persons. It is not derived from ourselves. The word immortal here means deathless. It is impossible for God to die. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the scripture says. Our God is over history and he is beyond time. He is immortal. Notice what he says about himself next. He says of God, he is unapproachable, who dwells in unapproachable light. There is an unrelenting push to make God so accessible to everyone at any time. We just snap our fingers or rub a lamp or whatever we're going to do. And that's how the thinking goes. And God, poof, he just appears right there, Johnny on the spot, to help us in our time of need. The scripture says he dwells in unapproachable light. Paul said, therefore, knowing the fear, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. 
The Bible says of God now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain. God told Moses, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. This speaks of his holiness. He is transcendent. He's totally beyond us. Notice that God is also invisible. He's not only immortal and unapproachable, but he's invisible. Whom no one has ever seen or can see. This is speaking of God in his unveiled sense. Nobody can look upon the very presence of God and see him. He's invisible. Now we look to Jesus who reveals the glory of God to us, as John has said. But he reveals it to us through human flesh. It's veiled. It's like looking at the solar eclipse. If you look at it directly, it can blind you. God is invisible. People say, oh, I saw God. No, you didn't. He's invisible. Well, I died and went to heaven. What did God look like? And they gave you a description. No, you didn't. You didn't see him. No, you didn't. You're lying. Well, I know what I saw. I don't care. You don't know what you saw. You know what you saw? You saw an oxygen-deprived brain making up hallucinations. That's what you saw. Have you ever thought about that? Little boy went to heaven. Come on, Christians, help me. Let's look at the script. Let's just get a hold of the scriptures. What does it say? The God whom we serve is a consuming fire. He is utterly and unchangingly other than what we are. No being is in his category. There are no allusions to him. There is no description of him. There is nothing in all creation that's like him. He is totally other. He is unique in his holiness. He's unique in his person. He's unique in his essence. There's nothing like him. I hate this. And I'm I'm about to get cranky enough where I'm going to take it out physically on somebody before it's over. Stop doing the stupid thing And trying to make up some kind of metaphor or some kind of illustration that explains God. Stop it now. No, God is not like water, ice, and steam. Stop it. I had a guy one time in my church and he he argued with me about this for a long time. You know, he'd been to Clear Clear Creek Bible College and boy, that's the pinnacle of all theological learning. So, you know, you know, well, Pastor, you, you've got to have some way to explain God. You know, he was wanting to use that or the egg or whatever it was. And I just told him, I said, Brother, you don't explain God. You, you see, you have to be a human sometimes and just come to the place where you have to say humbly, I don't understand. I just don't understand. You see, When we take the Bible and we set it aside and go, look, that's not enough for me. I'm going to now switch over to logic and logic is going to be my God. And logic is going to be my source of revelation. And I'm going to think through this and I'm going to think of a logical way to explain God. You have just committed heresy. You have just come up with an explanation of God that is not true. Did you know that the water steam ice thing actually uh, teaches a heresy about God? 
It's called modalism. It's been roundly condemned by the church through the centuries. So don't become a heretic because we do have places on our property that nobody knows about. Listen, I have friends on this property that you don't want to be friends with. The guy on the bicycle is my friend. Okay? He says so. At some point, brothers and sisters, we, we have to come to a place and say, I'm human and God is not. And I do not understand. How can he be these things? I do not know. But he is my God. I don't understand. My mind will not go there. My mind will not put it all together. It's impossible. The human mind cannot conceive of it. You see, if I can explain everything about God, now I have just created a God of my own imagination. So we just come to the place and we can say truthful things about God that God says about himself. That he is immortal. That he is unapproachable. He is invisible. He is eternal. We can say all those things. He's deathless. We can say those and we can understand what we mean. But as far as understanding God, it's an impossibility. All we can say is God is. That's what I know. God is. How do you know that? Because he says so. Well, that's circular thinking. No, it's truthful thinking. It's truthful. His unsurpassed powers and rival person. Let's look at something else. The undeniable praise that's due to him. Verse 16 says these words. Now to him. Be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Because of what we know about God. His power and his person. We don't have to sit down and go through a lot of guessing and pontificating and theorizing about God. We just praise. See, at some point you have to study God enough that you get to this point and you say, wow. Just wow. Just incredible. I don't know how. I can't do that. I, don't, I can't explain it. It doesn't make sense to me. Just wow. That's the point of, of praise. You see, um, what has happened for decades in Christianity is we've been trying to create wow by human ability. Through our music or through the, you know, the, the, the preacher, the pastor, person. You know, the things that we do on the platform. Trying to create this wow effect with people by human means. And in the process of that, we purposely hid God more and more. We just brought God down to just a, you know, just candy bar level. And so we, we'd hide God more and more because we don't want to scare people. And we don't want people to leave here confused, you know. And we don't want people to leave here thinking, I don't, even know, I don't even understand that. And so we're so worried about lost people understanding things about God that we don't even understand. Has it ever occurred to you that maybe what an unsaved person needs more than anything else is to walk out of here being wowed with the mystery of God? That's the kind of thing that brings conviction into, into the lives of sinners. 
And so for, for forever we try to hide and make sure we don't say things that are too, you know, and our, our songs would sound like we're singing to our boyfriend or something. Just ridiculous. Make me sick. Listen, I, 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 you know, when I was a pagan, I, I just didn't do Candy Rock. Sorry, guys. You know? And so I don't like it in church either. Stupid. Just made me sick. And, and so people will go, people that are shallow or whatever, they go to that kind of stuff and go, oh, this is so groovy. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's nothing in it. There's, there's nothing. And so we have, what we have to do is get back to this, this issue. Who is God? And come to the point where we're wowed with Him. And then the praise will flow. That's what has to happen. So here we have praise. What? For His person. We've been talking about His person. And so now the, the praise is to Him be honor. That is all respect, all reverence, everything be honor because of His excellency. The excellency of His person. He deserves every respect that we could possibly give to Him. I went, I went to preach at church one time. And uh, I had pastored that church you know, years ago. And um, so the guy that came after me thought, you know, it's a lot better to be cool groovy. And uh, so, you know, he preached in jeans and shirt, you know, chain necklace. And um, so they asked me to come preach. Well, I, you know, I show up normal. Like this. And so one of the old cranky ladies. Listen, uh, senior adult ladies, don't be that or you will become an illustration one day. She goes, don't you know that we don't, uh, we don't wear a tie around here anymore? I said, no, only those that respect God do. Listen, you don't, you don't have to dress a certain way to come here. I want you to be clean. I want you to be covered. That's all I care about. But I'm the pastor. I represent God to the community. How would you like it if your banker shows up, you know, with 28 earrings in and seven tattoos on the side of his head you know t-shirt and skinny jeans yeah can we help you with your money you know you gotta be like whoa okay Jim Rucker so so I mean there's just certain certain offices and certain things that that reflect respect and there's certain ways that you behave and act that reflect respect and so I want to make sure the community knows this is serious business. So I, I don't feel comfortable. He wears a tie. Thank you for the excuse. Go ahead and go to hell on that one. Really now? Really? Give me a break. So, well, he, he doesn't like people with tattoos. I didn't say that. You don't know if I have any or not. Now do you? Do you? No, you don't. So quiet down. Shave my head and be cool next week. Big earring. One through my nose. Praise God for his person and praise God for his power. His eternal dominion, he talks about. His rule never ends. So praise him for it. The effectiveness of his power and his power that's manifested in the universe now and forevermore. These are the reasons that we praise him. No God. Just know Him. I get a chance sometimes to work with pastors and, and 
they, they never ask for help until it's like way past late. I'm like, gosh, why didn't you, why didn't you ask about this like two years ago, dude? Um, so, you know, sometimes I get a chance. And um, one of the things, you know, that they're, they're really what they want me to do is give them three steps to fix their church. Step number one, you resign. How about that? So, um, so please say speak. And um, you know, like, well, I need, I need a, I need a vision. I need a vision. I don't have a vision for the church. I need a vision statement. I go, no. The first thing you need is a vision of God. You need to get in the Scripture and you need to study God. And when your heart is full of God, then you can lead your people. That's the first thing. And it's amazing how many of them don't know, don't know that, don't know how. They're looking for a trick, some key. Well, what if we move the piano on the other side? And what if we get the organ off the platform? And what if we, you know, I'm like, stop doing that. Just stop for a minute. Okay, just get your heart full of God. Dear Christian, what's the key? I mean, how do you live your life in obedience? How do you fix your family? And how do you live for God at work? And how do you get your finances right? And all the practical things that you talk about as a Christian. We need more and more of that. How do you fix? Get your heart full of God. That'll take care of it. Just filled up with God as he is. So why is this important? A couple reasons. Okay, so let me give these to you. One reason these two verses are important to, to every person here is these are the reasons. One. You have to know the real God. Or you end up believing in a false God that you have created. And brothers and sisters, that is an eternal mistake. That's not just a minor issue. That's an eternal mistake. The Bible is warning us here. And it warns us in other places. Even in this little letter, there are other places. And it warns us that the right understanding of God is essential to true saving faith. If you miss who God is, you miss Christianity. Period. Christianity is not just, I want to say a sinner's prayer and I'm in. You have to have an understanding of that which you're dealing with. Do you understand that you are dealing with this God who is alone, immortal, and invisible, the only wise God whom no one has ever seen or ever will see? Do you understand that you're dealing with the one who is the consuming fire? Until you understand that, you're not likely to come to saving faith. So it's essential. Here's the other reason it's important. And I've already alluded to this, but let's, let's, let's rub it in a little bit. This is what motivates you as a Christian. If you're a follower of Jesus, what motivates? What is it that motivates you to serve Him, to obey Him, to love Him, to persevere? What is it that will do it? Here's what it is. A vision of the true and living God, you will become like Moses, faces glowing with the presence of God. Your heart will be aflame like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. But you must take the time. 
You must pull aside. You must have a place, a margin in your life where everything else stops and you do nothing but get in your Bible with your heart full of prayer and humility and say, God, show me your glory. And when you began to look at the scripture in that way, then God will motivate you. God will move you to serve, to give, to love, to witness, all of those things. There's no trick here. There's, there's, there's no Christian trick to all of this. It's just you climbing the mountain and getting in the presence of God. God is. Our God is the true and living God. He just is. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for giving us a glimpse of yourself. In no way can we exhaust a description of you. Our minds couldn't hold it anyway. But thank you for being gracious and giving us just a snapshot of a little part of who you are. Father, we express even in our praying right now the humility of we can't even assimilate and we can't even put in the right place the, the, the small amount of information that you gave us today about yourself. You being the eternal God. And we take a sliver and, and still, Lord, we scramble and our minds are like, how can that be? What, Lord, let our hearts rest for a moment. Just let our hearts come to the place that we say we don't know but here's what we do know God is Father I pray also for those who are here today that have been playing God in their own life and they've tried to live their life out apart from you as king and lord over their lives they've been like a little Caesar thinking that they're their own savior they are their own lord they direct their own lives and that all the world is held together somehow by them being in charge of all things. Father, I pray that you'd break that satanic stronghold in their heart today. By the working and power of the Spirit of God, would you awaken them to the beauty of Christ. His rule and reign over all things, but at the same time, his condescending love to sinners. And that you, by the strong cords of your call, will bring them to a living faith in Jesus. Father, I pray that you would do this by your sovereign working power. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.